Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I hope it's been a good start to the new year for you. You know, new year is one of those times, you know, there's just kind of a natural time in life where a lot of us, we tend to take stock of our lives and just kind of look and just kind of ask the question, okay, uh, what do we want a little more of? Where can we improve? What do we want to see life look like? And, you know, there's all kind of books on this subject. Um, there's uh, one guy, Dave Freeman, he wrote a book, A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. And in that book, he kind of popularized the expression, the bucket list, okay? The whole idea of, hey, here, here's the things I want to do before I kick the bucket. And in, in his book, uh, he talks about, hey, here's a here's hundred items on his bucket list. And so he had stuff like running with the bulls in Spain, um, attending the Academy Awards events, going to North Carolina for the National Hollering Contest, okay? So these are his top 100 bucket list items. Well, tragically, uh, Dave Freeman, he died at an accident in his home when he was just 47 years old. His dad said that he only accomplished about half of the items on his bucket list. But you know, for a lot of us, as we go through life, we think about, hey, living the good life yeah, maybe it consists of a bucket list. These things, okay, here's, here's the list. And if I can check these off, it will be a good life. You know, it kind of gets us thinking at the start of the year. Okay, what exactly is the good life? And maybe, you know, someone say, hey, hey, you know, as believers, we shouldn't be so much concerned about the good life as the godly life. We shouldn't be so concerned about what makes us happy as what makes us holy. Well, maybe it's both. Okay, we're jumping back into our series, First Peter. We're talking about confidence and just to kind of remind you a little bit where, where we've been and what Peter has already said. He, he began by basically telling us who we are. Okay, and what he says is that we're chosen by God as the church, but at the same time, because of that, we're rejected by the world. Okay, and now knowing who we are, he says, here's how you should think. And basically, to sum it all up, he says, you should live with hope. You should be a hope-filled people. Because you have a living Lord, you have a living hope. And then he translates into how then you should live. And he says, okay, you're connected to the living stone, the living Lord. And because of that, hey, the world is upside down, and you're going to face a whole lot of issues, okay, because of your relationship with Jesus. And so he writes and he says, here's how you deal with unjust government. Here's how you deal with unjust authority. Here's how you deal with unjust employers. And women, here's how you deal with unjust husbands. And so from that, he's, he then writes and he says, okay, now here's how you live the good life. And that's where we're jumping into this morning. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. This is incredibly practical wisdom for us today. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Peter writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Forever, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, 
and he hears, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, Peter, he's just gone through this laundry list of situations, circumstances um, that are no fun to experience, that if you're suffering or experiencing unjust treatment. And then to sum it all up, he basically says, okay, church, your responsibility is this, live in harmony with one another, live in unity with one another. Uh, You know, somebody wrongs you, you don't just go and wrong them back. Somebody does something evil to you, you don't just go and do something evil back to them. Instead, you bless them. Because as the church, your job in the relationship with one another is to pursue unity. Peter recognizes how vital unity is to the church. By the way, Paul, when he's writing the letter to Ephesians, he says that what we're supposed to do is to maintain the unity. So understand this, unity in the church for the believer, this is not something that we like uh, strive towards, okay? It's not like, okay, if we could just attain unity, that will be great. Let's really work hard toward unity. No, no, no. Unity is something that God gives us, okay? He gives us unity. Our job is simply to maintain it, all right? To maintain the unity that you've been given, Okay? Because under Christ, hey, we're one, we're adopted sons and daughters, the perfect family, it's a unified family, just maintain the unity that you've been given. And understand this, unity is not uniformity, okay? Unity does not mean that everybody thinks the same way, that everybody does the same thing, that everybody has all the same preferences, that we're all doing exactly the same. Unity is not uniformity. You look around, God has created beautiful diversity. We come with all different experiences and backgrounds and strengths and weaknesses and personalities. But in unity, what happens is we take all of who we are, all of our strengths, weaknesses, personalities, everything that makes us us, and we submit it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in that, there's unity. It's perfect unity. It's how God creates everything. It's how he exists. Okay, you look at the unity of the Godhead. There's diversity, Father, Son, Spirit, and yet unity, one essence. You look at how he creates uh, the universe. I mean, you, you look at everything and how the distance we are from the sun, the gravitational pull, the way the earth sits on its, on its axis, how everything works together, and it's unified. It's beautiful. It's unity and diversity. You look at our human bodies, right? We, all, we have all these different systems that work, all, all, all the complexity of the human body, and yet it works together. It's diversity and unity, and it's beautiful. And it's the same thing for the church. That as the church, yes, we have different gifting, strengths, personalities, but we submit it all to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and there's unity, and our job is simply to maintain that. 
to maintain that unity, okay, so that we can live in harmony with one another. Now understand, only in the Godhead is that unity maintained perfectly, okay? Like the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they never get out of whack with one another, okay? There's never like some argument in heaven. No, no, it's always perfect unity. In creation, sometimes that unity gets uh, disrupted. And then what happens? Uh, Tornadoes, okay? Hurricanes, wildfires, things like this. In our bodies, what happens? Sometimes that unity is not maintained perfectly. And so what do you have? Well, cold and flu season, all right? Uh, You have uh, cancer, disease, things like this. It happens. In the church, we don't always maintain the unity that we've been given. And so what happens? Preferences win. We argue. There's gossip. Things like this happen in the church because we don't maintain the unity that we've been given. But understand this. Unity sets up the good life. You want a good life? You pursue unity in the church. Unity sets up the good life. Did you catch where Peter went next in the text? He quotes Psalm 34, is what he does. And he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Right? And say, well, who doesn't desire that? I want, I want to love life and, and see good days. But if, if you're reading here, understand how he's defining the good life is not a trouble-free, pain-free, worry-free life. No, no, no. The the quotation is actually a psalm of David, okay? Psalm 34, and David, he's writing this when he's being chased by a deranged King Saul, and he's hiding in a cave, and it looks like he's about to be murdered, basically. And this is where he is when he's writing this psalm. And he begins the psalm by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. And when you read that, you think, man, it looks like Saul's about to get him. Like, it looks like he's about to die. He's still got so much of his life in front of him. And he's been so good to Saul. And now all this. And he's saying that he's going to bless the Lord at all times. And he's talking about whoever desires to live a a good life and this type of thing. And how how do you get there? Um, Understand, look how it begins. Whoever desires. In other words, the good life, it begins with a mindset. Okay? It's a decision. Peter, he's referring to a mindset of faith that sees, hey, God is sovereign. He's he's sovereign in every situation. He's in control of everything, no matter what it is. And so uh, he's referring to a person who, by faith, is going to be confident that, that God is in control. And therefore, hey, life is worth living. He's in control. I don't have to be. Life's worth living. Now, understand, this is the opposite perspective of uh, Solomon. Solomon, he wrote that he hated life. And he said the reason why he hated life is it was all meaningless and a vexation of spirit. See, one of the things I love about the scripture is it just gives it to you straight, okay? I mean, there's two perspectives of life. You can choose to love life or you can choose to hate life. You see it with David and you see it with his son Solomon. One hey, I want to love life. The other said, I hate life. And so the same thing comes to us. Like, what, what, what do you want to be? You want to be the person who loves life or you want to be the person who hates life? I think most of us, well, I'd rather, I'd rather love life. And so then what happens? When hardship comes, you just like endure it? 
Do you, do you run away from it, like the pain or everything? You say, you know what? I'm going to choose to enjoy life even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of difficulty, because we trust that God is control, is in control. See, understand, uh, this is not some kind of like power of positive thinking uh, mumbo jumbo stuff, okay? This is not, well, I'm just going to think good and then it's just going to be good. No, no. This is dealing with facts. This is dealing with reality, but it's a confidence that God is in control and it's a choice to trust in his sovereignty. In fact, the Greek word here that Peter is using for life, it's actually, uh, it encompasses all of life, all of life situations, all the hardships, all the difficulties, all there is with life. And so he's saying in the midst of everything, in the human experience, have a zest for life. And so now David, the psalmist, uh, you know, he's reiterated by Peter and he's going to say, okay, here's a bucket list for how you do that. Okay. You want a real bucket list for living the good life? Here it is. And guess what? It's not running with the bulls in Spain. As exciting and exhilarating as that may be, that actually doesn't constitute a good life. It's not going to a national hollering contest in North Carolina, as entertaining as that might be. Uh, no, no. He says, if you want to give a, a, a live a good life, here's the bucket list on how to do it. And the first thing he says is, keep your tongue from evil. All right? It's an imperative uh, that implies this energetic restraint. James says that the tongue sets the course uh, for your life, the direction of our lives. And more than anything else in your life, your tongue will determine uh, whether or not you live a good life. More than anything else, it's your tongue. Uh, so, you know, more than your bank account, more than the stuff you accumulate, more than your job description, more than any of that, your tongue will have the greatest impact on the direction of your life. Um, and so, Peter says, keep your tongue from evil uh, and your lips from speaking deceit. To say it in a positive way, tell the truth. You know, it's a whole lot easier to tell the truth. Because when you lie, what happens? Well, you got to remember the lie. And then sometimes you got to lie about the lie, and then you got to lie about the lie about the lie, and it all is just this whole web, right? And you got to kind of keep it all straight. Well, what did I say? What I, how, do, how, do I, how do I make this fit? You know, and it's, it becomes complicated. It becomes exhausting. When you tell the truth, what happens? You don't have to remember anything. You know, I'm, I'm just telling you how it is. I mean, this is just the truth. I don't have to remember it. I, I just kind of know it. And and, and that's a freeing way to live. It's living the good life. Um, you know, I think it's interesting, don't you, that Peter is the one who is encouraging us here, tell the truth, speak, speak the truth. Yeah, he has some experience with lies, you know. I mean, of all the apostles, Peter may have more experience than any of the others. You remember, right, when Peter was in the courtyard and Jesus was on trial and it wasn't looking good, and then the teenage girl comes and she's asking Peter, the hey, I recognize you. You were with Jesus, weren't you? And Peter's lying through his teeth. No, no, I don't know who Jesus is. Who are you talking? Who's this guy? I don't know what you're talking about. And she asked him three times. And by the third time, what does Peter do? Well, he's cursing that he doesn't know him. And I blankety blank don't know the man. I mean, why, why do you keep asking me about this? I mean, he's lying through his teeth. And you know what Luke says? Luke says that then Peter, he hears the rooster crow after the third lie. And he runs out of the courtyard and he weeps bitterly. He wept bitterly. 
Why? Because the tongue set the direction for the course of his life. He didn't speak the truth. He told, I mean, you talk about a whale of a lie. I mean, he, he lies that he even knows who Jesus is. And it causes so much turmoil and so much distress in his life because of the lie that he told. And so Peter, now he encourages us, you don't want to go there. Let me tell you, that is not a path you want to follow. Just tell the truth. Just be honest. Even if you think it might cause some problems for you, some issues for you, just tell the truth. And the next thing he says, turn away from evil. Sounds obvious. Um, He's using a figure of speech here, okay? In, in the Greek, uh, to literally translate, it would be, it would, uh, it's a figure of speech that's like lean from evil or bend from evil. If we were to put it in just common uh, vernacular of our day, it, w- it would be more like bend over backwards to avoid evil, okay? That, that's what he's saying. That's basically the figure of speech. Just bend over backwards, do whatever you can to, to avoid evil. And what this implies is that most of the time we can see evil coming, you know? That we kind of know, okay, if we make this choice, if we go down this path, well, that's not going to end well. That's going to be pretty evil, right? It's going to be pretty bad. And sometimes we want to go anyway. Like we feel the tension. Maybe all of our friends are choosing this. Well, I don't want to miss out. I kind of want to go or for whatever reason. Or if I tell the truth here, I feel like it might be uncomfortable. Maybe it'll hurt their feeling or whatever. I just want to avoid. So I'll say something else. Whatever the reason may be. And you know, that's the wrong thing to do, Right? We've all been there. I know this is not the right choice, but for whatever reason, you know, we justify our minds and we go that way anyway. And what Peter's saying is, no, 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 no. You bend over backwards not to go that way. Whatever it takes, don't choose evil. And then he says, instead, do good. All right? Do good. You know, sometimes the Bible gets this rap that is just this list of like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. That God, you know, he just wants to take our fun away. You know, hey, here's the list of what not to do. Now, to be sure, the Bible has a lot of things to avoid for our good because God wants us to give, God wants to give us a good life. But understand this, he never just leaves it in a vacuum. It's never like, well, don't do this, and then you're kind of just here. No, no, it's always don't do this and do this. It's put off and put on, all right? There's always something to do. And here, there's something that is to do, to do good, right? And the implication is do good to others, right? Live for others above yourself. Don't just think of yourself, your own preferences, your own wants. Think about others. Live for others. And uh, have you ever thought about it? That the biggest impact that you really make in your life is when you contribute positively in the life of somebody else, you know? That those are the memories that we often, like when we reminisce about just life and stuff that we've done and things like this, we think about the experiences that we've shared with people and what we've done for people. And, oh man, that was so cool when we did this together and how, you know, and you came alongside me and encouraged me or, you know, I was there for you. And, and those are the stories that we talk about. That's what we share, right? As we gather with the holidays, maybe we see family and friends we haven't seen in a while, and you're going back and you're just reminiscing. You're telling the stories, but you're telling stories about being with people. That's what we remember. That's the good life, you know, is when you purposely live for others and do good for others. And maybe you think, well, that sounds exhausting. That's a lot. There's a lot of doing in there. 
Yeah, maybe, but listen, that's fulfilling. That's life giving. When you do something that really matters, it's life giving. And, you know, doing good requires doing. So, you know, there's living in all of this. Uh, The next principle that Peter writes about is pursuing peace. Okay, that you seek it out, that you have a reputation of a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, not someone who just sits idly by and just kind of watches and well, I don't want to get involved. No, no, you're actively involved. You're a peacemaker. You don't compromise the truth of the gospel, but you're happy to compromise your own rights or your own preferences um, for the sake of peace, for the sake of others. And when you think about it, this is exactly what Jesus did for us, Right. I mean, when he came, the incarnation of Jesus, what happened in that moment? Well, he gave up the right to look like God. He gave up the right to live like God. He gave up the right to be treated like God. Also, he could look like man, be treated like man, live like man. And why did he do it? To pursue peace, to restore peace between God and man. And this is what he's calling us to. Give up your rights. Give up your preferences. Don't compromise on the truth of the gospel, but pursue peace with people. That's living the good life. And you look back on that, you know, very rarely will you do good, will you pursue peace, and you'll hear somebody say afterwards, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. You know, it really wasn't worth the effort. No. You look back on those things, that was worth it. You know, it was hard, it was uncomfortable at times, a little difficult, pain. I didn't know which way it would go. But man, it was worth it. Even when it doesn't work out, it's worth it. So you seek, you seek peace, you pursue peace. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work out. And that's kind of where Peter goes to next. Because he says, in a sense, remember, you're never alone. That God's eyes are on the righteous His ears are attentive to their prayers. There will be times in life when you're trying to do good, when you're pursuing peace, and it's just not working out. For whatever reason, people aren't responding, and you're looking, saying, God, I'm I'm trying to be faithful here. I'm trying to honor you with how I'm living. I'm, I'm trying to do good to others, and yet all I feel inside is pain and heartache and hurt, and I feel alone. And Peter's reminder here is, remember, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's as if God, his eyes, as they look over the whole universe, they're focused on you, the righteous. As if he bends down to hear your prayer, even your faint cry. That that's how personal he is. And remember, this is David. Peter's just uh, uh, re-referencing David here. And this is the confidence that David is, is portraying. It's why he could say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Even when he's in that cave and you, you, know, you don't know which way it's going to go. I will bless the Lord at all times. Listen, you want a bucket list for living a good life? Peter gives it to us right here. Tame your tongue, tell the truth, avoid evil, do good to others, pursue peace, and remember you're never alone. All right? If, if that's how you live life, you will live a good life, a life that matters. To sum it all up, bless the Lord at all times. I mean, that's, that's what David said. Bless the Lord at all times. Bless them with how you think. Bless them with how you live. Bless them with how you love. Bless them with what you do. Bless the Lord at all times. May God the object of your mind's attention and your heart's affection. Now, Peter keeps writing, and it's as if he's building off of this psalm quotation. And 
He says, okay, here's how you pursue the good life. You're pursuing the good life and you're doing good to others. Like, is somebody going to like then harm you for that? He's asking the question. It's a rhetorical question. And for the most part, the answer is no, right? You go and do good to others. You're nice to people. You, you bless them. You do good to them. Uh, are they then going to turn around and do evil to you? For the most part, no. Okay. For the most part, no. But Peter lets you know that sometimes there's going to be exceptions. Hey, every once in a while, it's just not going to be reciprocated. That every once in a while, you're going to bend over backwards. You're going to do everything you can to be nice to them, to serve them, to love them well. And then you're going to find out they just slandered you. They just ran your name through the mud. They, they said all th- kinds of things about you that weren't true. They turned, you know, whatever. And Peter says, hey, even then, understand this, you're blessed. You're blessed. And you say, I don't feel like I'm blessed. I feel like I just got run over. Man, I feel like I just got stabbed in the back. This doesn't feel like any kind of a blessing at all. Church, understand that this is really important to understand. The prosperity gospel that's out there in the church tells you that blessing is simply like living a good life on easy street, okay? All right, hey, you know you're blessed when everything's good, everything's easy, everything's right, that that's a blessing. Understand that we have a real twisted idea of what blessing is. Blessing doesn't mean that everything just works out great, okay? Understand, because we're blessed by God, blessing is God's goodness to us. And when we experience God's goodness in an upside-down world, sometimes the upside-downness of the world revolts against that. And so then that blessing, what we experience on earth sometimes, is temporary suffering and difficulty because of God's blessing in our lives. Okay, let let me show you how this works a little bit, okay? Uh, Since we're on the heels of Christmas, let's just kind of rewind to Mary, okay? Mary was shown favor by God, okay? She was highly favored by God. She was blessed to be the mother of Jesus, okay? Huge blessing. What did that blessing mean in her life? It meant a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of difficulty in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, she's got to run. She's got all this explaining to do. You know, who's going to believe her? She's got all this going on. And then as Jesus grows up, she sees how people treat him. She's there at the cross. She had to witness the crucifixion of her son. There's a whole lot of hurt, a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of pain because she was blessed. Think about the prophets, okay? You want to rewind a little bit further. You think about the prophets. These men were blessed by God to be God's mouthpiece, uh, to tell people who God is, what, who they are, what they should do. And in that blessing, what happened to a lot of them? They were ignored. They were uh, slandered. They were run off. They were told to be quiet all kinds of things. I mean, they experienced a lot of difficulty in their lives. Why? They were blessed. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, you will see faithful men and women over and over and over again who are blessed by God. And because of that blessing, they experienced a whole lot of suffering. Here's one of the things that blessing does in our lives, okay? God's blessing, it always conforms us into the image of Christ, all right? 
It's God's goodness that's given to us so that we will look more like his son, Jesus. And when that happens, uh, oftentimes there's a lot of suffering with that. That we count it, James will write and he'll say, count it joy, brothers, when you suffer. Why? Because you know the result. Because it's going to make you look more like Jesus. Now, we tend to think, hey, blessing means everything is just smooth sailing. It's all the good thing. Hey, you know, I got everything I want. I'm blessed. Well, sometimes what we think is blessing is just being neutralized. Okay? It's simply being neutralized. It's not God's blessing at all. It's we've been deceived. Largely because the prosperity gospel has come and told us this. And then we think, oh, this is blessing. Sometimes we've been deceived. Um, If you think you're blessed because of the absence of suffering in your life, really you might be neutralized more than anything else. You go through and you read about the men and women of Scripture who are blessed by God, and you'll read about people who suffered. But guess what? That suffering caused them to look more and more like Jesus. That's blessing. That's blessing. So when you live with this mindset, okay, that, hey, no matter what, I've got this confidence in God. I understand that even the hardships, the difficulties in my life, when I'm being faithful, that sometimes that's happening as a result of God's blessing in my life. And because I live in an upside down world, when you have that confidence, you don't back down. You keep doing good. Uh, because you understand, hey, Christ is Lord. And so what do you, I, I'm going to sanctify him in my heart that Christ is Lord. He will be sovereign in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Peter highlights the heart because it's in the heart that we feel. You know, it's in, it's in the heart that, hey, I don't, I don't really feel like he's Lord. I, I, I feel like, you know, the world is Lord. You know, this person who's causing me all this pain, they, they kind of feel like they're in charge right now and it hurts. And so he's saying, hey, no, when you live this way and you understand that even the difficulties in life, he is Lord and you sanctify him in your heart, your heart becomes this sanctuary where you just know there's this, no, God's in control. Even in the midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of this pain, I know, I'm convinced he is Lord, he is in control. And when you live that way, Peter says, guess what happens? People start asking questions, just normal conversation. Maybe people you work with, maybe neighbors, somebody like, people start asking questions. Hey, uh, I know all this stuff going on in your life. I mean, you're going through some stuff, and yet you still have a smile. There's still this hope about you. How how do you have that? It's going to raise questions. Why? Because people know your circumstances. And Peter says, be ready for those questions. Be ready to respond. See, the world wants an answer. Nothing has changed, right? From the first century to the 21st century. People deal with hardships. People deal with loss. People deal with heartache. And so when they see people who are going through these upside down world and the complexities of it, still with hope, still with a smile, still enjoying life, they want to know, where do you have the hope? Notice the question that they're asking. It's not like, okay, I really want to know your beliefs. I I really want to, can you just explain your faith to me, how it works? No, no. The question that they want answered most of all is how do you have hope? How do you have hope? And you know what? This should give us great confidence 
Because basically all I have to do is be able to tell the story of Jesus and the difference that he's made in my life and why I have the hope that I have. You know, you know what this implies? That I don't necessarily have to be an expert to be able to fire off like the three responses to evolution or expound on the cosmological argument about the existence of God or things like this. Not that there's not a place for that. But in general, uh, with most people you encounter, you just simply need to talk about why you have the hope that you have. Understand this, the Bible calls us to be witnesses. God calls us to be witnesses. He doesn't call us to be prosecuting attorneys, okay? I don't have to go and try to poke holes in your worldview and show you why your thinking is so wrong and you're off base. And no, this is why, no, no, there may be a place. Like, I'm not saying there's never a place for that, but our job primarily is to be a witness where we just testify about what we, we know, about the difference in our own life, about the hope that we have. And so Peter says, when you do this, you do it with the gentleness. There's a, there is a respectful way in which you're talking. There's a tenderness in, in the way you're having this conversation. Why? Because you know, hey, I have this hope, not because I'm great, but because God is great. I have this hope, not because I'm in control and I'm going to kind of make everything work, but I know that God is sovereign and he's got this. That's why I have hope. And so that produces this uh, humility of posture as you're, as you're having these uh, conversations because your focus is on Jesus. See, when it comes to good apologetics, it's not so much the arguments. It's about just the character of your private life. You know, that when the hard times come and you're crying on the pillow at night and you have that, just, um, that feeling in your stomach and you're hurting, and you're crying out to God, and you're saying, hey, God, I understand you're in control. I'm going to leave all of this at the foot of the cross because I know that you've got this. And then that changes how you live. And that right there, the power of being able to do that and then take, uh, put one foot in front of the other and continue to pray and continue to bless the Lord at all times, that makes people ask questions. See, living the good life demonstrates your hope in Christ. Living the good life demonstrates your hope in Christ. It all works together. Are you seeing this? Right? You have unity sets up the good life. And then as you're living the good life, and okay, here, here's what I'm focused on. I'm, I'm watching my tongue. I'm taming my tongue. I'm uh, doing good to people. I'm running away from evil, doing good. I'm pursuing peace. I'm focused on the fact that I know that God is, is always with me. I'm never alone. And I'm living that way. Then people start asking questions, and I'm able to give an answer for the hope that I have. It all comes around. This is the good life. This is a life of purpose. This is a life that matters because here's what happens. When you live life this way, people will see your heartache, but they at the same time will see your hope in Christ. People will see your problems, but at the same time, these people will see your peace with Christ. People will see your suffering, but at the same time, they will see your surrender to Christ. People will see your failures, but at the same time, people will see the forgiveness that you've received from Christ. And that produces hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you give the good life. Forgive us for when we come up with our own bucket list of things that we think, okay, if we do this, this is what life is. God, you give us plenty of things to enjoy, God, but the good life is a life that blesses you. 
at all times, and it, it directs how we speak, how we think, how we live. Um, God, and when we live that way, people begin asking questions. And so, God, I pray that this year will be a year where a lot of people will ask questions about us, about how we live, the hope that we have, and that we'll be able to give them an answer where we testify to the goodness of who you are and what your son has done for us. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.